you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Ben Wood. Ben, do you want to say hi? Yeah. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Now, uh, you were on episode 288 talking about upgrading Rails apps. Um, I guess you and your brother. Yeah, that's right. His name's Josh. And uh, we own a company together. It's a consultancy called Hint. Hint.io is our web address. And one of the things that we specialize in, as many consultancies do, I suppose, but we've really specialized in it over the years, is mm-hmm. uh, is upgrading Rails apps. And so we've got another domain called UpgradeRails.com. And it's kind of a productized service to a certain degree, I suppose, um, where we uh, consult upgrading Rails applications all the way from small trivial upgrades, if there's such a thing, to really, really, really complex ones that take, um, you know, a, a year and a, and a team to upgrade. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we may want to clarify that we're not related. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Totally. Yeah, there's... <laughs> yeah, go go figure. Anyway, some it may, may come up with some people, yeah, that we have the last name. I actually have a cousin named Ben, too, so... So anyway, so let's let's go ahead and dig into your story. Let's find out where where you're from and uh, yeah, what your experience is. I kind of want to just rewind all the way back to when you got into programming. Sure. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good question. So I I grew up in in the '90s. I was born in the '80s, kind of childhood in the '90s, I suppose, mm-hmm. and 2000s. And I guess as it does for many people, it started with computers in general before you dive into programming. You know, I've got some, some reason or interest in being into computers. And um, as a young boy, um, I got into computer hardware. We had a, a family friend who was an electrician and he was an Uber nerd and the kind of guy in the 90s that just had like, you know, a workshop of computer parts that he had collected and hung on to and, um, most of them were like pulled out of old machines and stuff that he worked on and like would probably never be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but he collect, he collected them for some reason. <laughs> nice. Um, and so we built a computer out of spare parts, um, just as a, for fun project. And, um, that kind of struck, you know, some interest for me. Um, and mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun doing that. So, you know, built a computer. This was in the days of dial up internet, of course. And, um, we, we had, yeah, we had, um, a single phone line in the house and it was always the struggle of, you know, moms on the phone. Unfortunately, I didn't have any sisters that were tying up the, the phone line, um, <laughs> for me back in the nineties. Um, my, my brother was, um, my brother was, was at home and I actually did have two half sisters, but, um, they were quite a bit older than me. 
Uh-huh. So it was mostly, it was mostly, uh, you know, parents chatting on the phone and stuff. We were too young to really have, have much uh, phone time, but of course we were, um, fighting over who was connected to the internet. Right. Um, so, so that was always a struggle. And, um, as, uh, as children who grew up in the nineties often did, I was tampering with the box outside our house, um, where the phone line comes in and then uh-huh. that's like the, I don't know what you call that where it terminates, I suppose. Um, and, uh, and I discovered something, which was that we didn't have one phone line at the box, but we had two phone lines at the box. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the plot thickens. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had this great idea of, I don't know where this phone line came from, but I'm going to wire this up and sneak it into my room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then, um, for the next two years, I stole our neighbor's fax line. <laughs> um, Ooh, is that when that worked? And I didn't, and I didn't know, I didn't know whose, whose line it was, but, um, but I knew that it was all mine as far as I was concerned. You know, I was mm-hmm. probably, when I did this, I was probably like 10 or 11. I mean, I was, I was pretty young. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I kind of like buried it, you know five inches under the dirt, like just under the topsoil, basically right through the window and had my very own dial up connection that I ran basically all the time and got away with that until we later got DSL, which was magical. You know, we had a half a megabit or something like that. Yeah. And so I, I disconnected the phone line, um, from my computer and never thought about it again. And of course later, you know, this is like maybe a year or two later, my mom is, is, um, is out gardening and she's, uh, digging around in the dirt she finds a phone line and what is this phone line and <laughs> oh, they, no. were, you know, they, they were they were mad but not so mad at that point they could really do much about it because it was something that had happened years ago <laughs> right um but they but they did of course want to find out whose it was and we that's when i discovered okay it belongs to our our neighbor and uh, i ended up having to apologize to them because they uh they were wondering who was using their phone line all those years and blocking their faxes and stuff so <laughs> funny childhood uh, shenanigans of growing up in the nineties and stealing your neighbor's phone line. Um, but, but you know, that, that was my, uh, that was really where I kind of fell in love with the internet um, and had probably more access than a lot of kids did, I guess, because I pretty much did have my computer connected to the internet all the time and it wasn't great access. You know, it was 56 K at that point. Right. Um, but uh, I started, I started dabbling with things. This is, probably, I guess the era where PHP was kind of a, a thing that was taking off and, mm-hmm. um, social media wasn't really around per se, but web forms were at that point in time. And my friends and I, you know, built some, some forms to kind of keep in touch with each other and communicate something that was a little bit more interesting than email. That was, that was fun. Uh, then eventually got into, doing some other stuff with PHP, some content management system stuff, mostly just for fun. Um, learned about, you know, things like Joomla as a throwback. Mm-hmm. Everybody's familiar with Joomla. I try not to remember these things, but they're, they're, they're burnt in my, <laughs> in my brain forever. Uh, and then eventually WordPress, which was a lot better at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my slow intro into to programming. That's the short story long, how I, how I got into it. Eventually we got, you know, DSL. And, um, <clears throat> I think it was in the first month that we had DSL that we got a, a letter from the provider, uh, that was, was basically telling us we needed to slow our usage because we had chewed up, um, a hundred gigabytes of, 
of uh, download bandwidth, which isn't a lot these days, but on a really slow connection back then, that was, you know, probably the equivalent of pulling down a terabyte or something on your, uh, you know, Comcast line or whatever your, your uh, cable provider might be. Um, so yeah, I got busted for that too. Cause then of course my dad, you know, he's, he's saying, Hey son, you know, what's, what's the deal here? What are you, what are you downloading? Well, I'm downloading the internet, dad, <laughs> Any, anything, anything I can get my hands on, I'm downloading it. Don't pirate children. It's, uh, it's, it's bad. Don't do it. <laughs> but I, but I, but I did in, uh, in those days. And, um, so yeah, I was just, you know, learning lots of stuff and, and yeah, that's, that's kind of my, I guess my intro into programming. And from there, uh, you know, it turned into kind of a side skill, I guess. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't start a career in programming initially. Um, I had another career path in audio engineering actually, um, which seems to go well, I guess, I guess these are things that interest a certain type of person. Um, yep. I've met other audio engineers that are also, um, software engineers, you know, so. Yeah. I've talked to a few folks. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I got an audio engineering. I guess I'm going to kind of continue the story here. Um, I, I, uh, ran a recording studio for about six years, uh, where I live now, which is in Vancouver, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, that's, that's just on the other side of the Columbia river from Portland, Oregon. So I'm not talking about uh, Vancouver, BC, but Vancouver, Washington, a suburb of Portland, Oregon, essentially. Whereas we like to say that Portland is a suburb of Vancouver. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely not the case, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Vancouver is great though. As a, as a side note, um, lots of tech moving over here, you know, um, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of tech moved has, has moved to Portland over the last five, six, seven years, somewhere in there. Yep. Um, and now a lot of the tech that has moved to Portland is moving into Vancouver because it's less expensive, you know, than, than being in downtown, um, Portland and, um, maybe certain tax advantages and things. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a nice community, you know, deal with less traffic. So yeah, pretty, pretty tech savvy little town. And it takes me about, uh, maybe 15 minutes or so to get into Portland from, from where our offices are here in Vancouver. Right. So it's nice. Uh, anyway, so um, the audio engineer ran a recording studio here in Vancouver for about six years. Um, the recording studio happened to be um, owned by a large church here in the mm-hmm. community, and it's um, not your average church recording studio. It's it's really quite um, quite elaborate, and uh, they have other things going on. They also have like a you know a school and some other organizations that were associated and. That's kind of where my web expertise had its first professional application, which is that I got in the studio and I was running things and realized, hey, you know, we need to do a better job of our web presence. And I mm-hmm. think I can handle this myself. So um, built a new website for uh, for the studio and it was great, according at least to the you know peer review <laughs> that I had at the time. And then found myself tumbling into taking over all web across all the organization. Um, oops. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, it's funny how that my, happens, right? Wasn't my intent. Yeah. <laughs> if you tell, you know, if you go to a, I mean, I suppose it's true in any business, but especially an organization that runs a lot on volunteers and stuff. And a lot of times on, on, you know, limited expertise, if you, if you show that you know how to do something, it's pretty hard not to get sucked in and go down the rabbit hole, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those volunteer situations yeah. too, it's, 
we need somebody and we know we can rely on you. Yeah. And so, yeah, even yeah. a little bit of aptitude and a little bit of willingness and, uh, yeah, yeah it makes all the difference. Yeah. yeah. And I had a little bit of both. And so I guess that's, that's what happened there. So, so yeah, I, you know, at that point I was primarily working with WordPress, um, but uh-huh. I got tired of fumbling through things and, and I wouldn't consider myself a programmer at that point though. Um, I was definitely dabbling and I had written some PHP that wasn't part of, you know, WordPress site just to perform some function and, and another task. And, and I, I still felt like, you know, I, I was more of a script kitty, just like I was back in the nineties than anything, you know, putting together mm-hmm. these web forms and things. I, I wasn't a programmer. I was just following some instructions and figuring stuff out, which is, you know, I mean, it's admirable, I suppose, but, um, I never really dove into it and decided I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do this until around that time that I ended up taking on way more web things than I intended. And I was hating my life because of the fumbling. <laughs> right. I just felt like I'm doing this, but you know, I, I don't, don't really like what I'm doing and there has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I took the dive and I actually started with JavaScript at the time. This was in uh, probably somewhere around 2009 or 2010. Um, uh-huh. I uh, start, started learning some JavaScript and pretty quickly kind of turned my my focus to Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And that was probably more like in 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. Um, at the time, my brother, actually, who we were talking about earlier, Josh Wood, um, uh-huh. was doing Ruby uh, and Ruby on Rails consulting and had some experience. And I was seeing the things that he was doing. I was thinking that's pretty cool. And that looks like a much better way than what I'm currently doing. <laughs> uh-huh. How, how did he find it? And then how did you find Rails? Was it through him then? Yeah, I, I would say it probably was through him primarily. He His his story is different than mine. And, and I think he might have the opportunity to be on the show too. So I uh-huh. won't, I won't give it all away, but, but he, uh, yeah, he, he had a similar beginning, uh, as me, of course. Um, we were both into things like IRC and whatnot. And he actually right. got more into actual programming in childhood than I did, um, with, you know, scripting things and, mm-hmm. uh, he learned some Perl and some other stuff. And so, yeah, he, he had kind of focused more on programming all the way from childhood and he had other jobs and stuff along the way, but eventually he turned his focus full time just to doing software engineering. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how he found Ruby initially. I believe it may be that he was doing some consulting with some other people that were, that were using Ruby and, um, he fell in love with it similarly to the way that I did. And, um, so yeah, I, um, I, I had seen what he was doing and thought that was really great. And so I just, I decided I was really going to dive in. And at this point I was still working full time at, uh, you know, this recording studio doing audio engineering and kind of trying uh-huh. to maintain these like WordPress sites and stuff I was building on the side, but, but also wanting to really attack that learning curve of, of actually understanding, you know, the core principles of, of software development. And so at that time, I, I, I remember it pretty clearly. And actually, every once in a while, I come across this file that I created in my archives. I'm like a data hoarder of, uh, of like storing all the things from my past. You know, I actually have some of the forms, for example, from, from the oh, wow. 2000s, early 2000s, still on a hard drive somewhere at home. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I come across this file sometime, which was more or less a schedule that I made for myself. My wife and I had been fairly newly married. And I said, hey, I'm I'm going to change careers. Um, I like Mm -hmm. audio engineering and it's a passion and it's great, but there's really just not a whole lot of opportunity in it, especially in the, you know, living in Vancouver, um, Portland maybe, but you know, really if you want to make a way in, in the music business, you have to go exist where 
the music business lives, which is, you know, LA or Nashville or somewhere right. else. Um, especially in audio engineering, it's just, you're, you're not really going to build a extremely successful career unless you just go all in and live the life, which it's not the life that we software engineers live. Um, certainly, you know, with a lot of flexibility, work from anywhere kind of stuff that we get to take advantage of the audio uh, world yeah. is you're kind of living on somebody else's terms and, you know, staying up late <laughs> in sessions and things like that. So anyways, I just decided I got to change careers. And that's, that's where I, that, that, that's where I decided uh, I was, I was going to come home from work and spend a couple hours with my wife and then stay up until uh, 12 or 1am learning and studying mm -hmm. and doing tutorials and basically just self being self-taught um, until I got to the point that I could actually become productive and do something with it. And at, at that point, the most obvious choice was for me to build something with Ruby and Rails in the existing organization that I was in. And so I did. Uh, I used a, a CMS framework called Locomotive. I think it's maybe still around, actually. Uh, it was. I remember uh, Locomotive. Yeah, I don't know if it's still out there. Yeah, it was an interesting tool. I didn't know anything about anything at the time. So, you know, I didn't know any better if it was good or bad. I, I looked at some of the other content management system gems and libraries that were around for Rails at the time. And Locomotive seemed like it suited things well. And um, I uh, built a built a website on it. And it was great at the time. I, I had fun building it. And I learned quite a bit. And it was shortly thereafter that I started having some opportunity to put my skills to use in subcontracting positions and uh, started working with my brother on a side uh, who was mostly just freelancing at the time, but, but had an overflow of work to do. And so it kind of started subcontracting with him and eventually had the opportunity to go full-time in subcontracting and contracting with some other clients. I was still doing a little bit of WordPress and these sorts of things at the time, but um, mo mostly Ruby. And, um, there came there came a point where where my brother had started another company called Honey Badger, which is something that a lot of Rubyists are familiar with. Yeah, they sponsored the show for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an exception monitoring platform, and uh, he needed to shift his focus full time efforts, you know, towards the product, towards Honey Badger, mm -hmm. away from the consulting work that he was doing. But he had quite a bit of consulting work, and I was doing quite a bit of it already as as a subcontractor. And uh, so, as as brothers, we decided, hey, let's let's you know not just let this thing go, let's keep this going, and let's partner and actually start a consultancy together. And right. so that's the hint that exists today is is from the ground zero, I guess, at that point that we decided let's partner and, and actually reform a corporation and um, hired our first employee, and now we're a uh, Small team of six and one member of our team who's in a contract position but works with us pretty much full-time. So I guess seven, um, if we include him. It's great up in Seattle. And yeah, we're doing all sorts of things. We've been uh, in the downtown Vancouver area with a couple of different offices over the years. And our clients are uh, distributed around. We've got a couple of local clients, but we don't really do that much local, actually. It's something we should probably right. try to put a bit more focus on. Cause there's lots of, lots of tech and, and work going on around these mm -hmm. parts. But yeah. So I guess that's, that's the story, man. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, and I love just, you know, kind of the progression, you know, from uh, audio engineering all the way up to, Hey, you know, we run a consultancy that upgrades rails and does rails work and things like that. Mm 
Now, what, what have you learned as you've progressed over the years? I mean, first of all, just running a business is a completely different set of skills oh, yeah. than writing code. So yeah. Yeah. how have you learned to succeed there? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a really great question. Um, you know, if, if I was to talk about what I'm, what I'm working on now, you know, really I'm, I'm trying to focus on business development and mm-hmm. being, being owner of the business, um, I, being a small team, I still do get to spend some of my time actually writing code, which I really enjoy. And if, if I, if I could, I probably would just continue to write code all the time, you know, and, and just be a, a software engineer. Cause that's, that's what I enjoy. And that's where my passion is. Right. Um, but I, I have other skills, organizational skills, you know, people skills, um, things that, that make me a good fit in the different roles that are in the company right now to actually take my role and be a business person, you know? <laughs> so it's right. hard to deny, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on, on building the business and, uh, it's been it's been a journey. This is my first you know business venture. I I had some management experience and stuff, and and some fairly low level you know ex- experiences running running a business as a manager in the recording mm-hmm. studio. But that was always a you know a small a relatively small venture, I guess you would say. So yeah, learn, learning a lot about building a good team, you know, building systems and processes, and figuring out how to have a you know reliable sales process and yeah, uh, build, building out a, a pipeline uh, is something that we're just finally figuring out. I think, you know, to, to actually be, to actually have work scheduled out, you know, months in advance is, is something that's been uh, a challenge and, and we're getting there now, which is really exciting. That's a lot of the same kinds of things that I'm working on learning myself for the podcasting and uh, yeah. sponsorships and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. Yeah, and it absolutely. is. It's completely different from writing code. Yeah. Yeah. Context switch can be hard sometimes. And, yeah. you know, I feel like I want to go 100% on one or the other. And it's it's difficult to jump back and forth. But often it seems like that's what is required. Mm-hmm. And I've tried all sorts of strategies to try to segregate my time and stuff. But it's it's always just it comes back to, to having to switch context a lot because I'm wearing a lot of hats, you know. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So, is that what you're working on now, or do you have other things, other irons on the fire, so to speak? Yeah, that's that's primarily what I'm working on now. Growing hints, you know, business development, mm-hmm. sales, developing tools and process and documentation stuff for upgrade rails is definitely something I'm doing because I've built a lot of knowledge in in my own mind, and and we've written a lot of it down, and we have built some tools and things, but we really want to take the expertise that we have. And it's not just me. We've got other members of the team as well that have a lot of this expertise and knowledge and stuff. We we want to build process such that we can uh, bring on other team members and they can be as successful right. as we are in this process. Because that's really what it comes down to is is process. It's about being strategic with the sequence of things and mm-hmm. uh, biting off more than you can you can chew at any given point in a Rails application. You know, a lot of times people will come to us with an app that they think they want to upgrade. But really, an upgrade is the last thing that they need in their application, right. um, especially if their stated goals are that they want to make things uh, you know, simpler and more pleasant for their engineers to work in an environment. A lot of times it's, you know, hey, you should focus on all the other tech debt problems that you have before you upgrade Rails or else you're going to end up with more tech debt <laughs> mm-hmm. because, this, because this app isn't ready to upgrade. So, you know, learn, learning uh, how to identify those problems and, and make the right recommendations for how to sequence these things. 
that's that's the kind of stuff that we really want to have a well-defined process for. And um, yeah, outside of that, um, you know, I I have the opportunity to automate things for our team. That's something that I really enjoy doing. A couple of examples of that, I guess, would be um, uh, I love Zapier. Do you use Zapier? I use it for everything. In okay. fact, when yeah. you signed up, no, not for this podcast, but uh, Ruby Rogues or JavaScript Jabber, or any of the panel shows. Okay. Yeah. You you sign up using Schedule once and then Zapier okay. is the thing that yeah. sets up the Google Doc and sends you the email. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody should use Zapier. It's great. And and if this then that is cool, but Zapier is, you know, if you're if you're a software engineer, I think Zapier will be more more uh, you know. Or your speed. So, yeah, I like Zapier. I, I used it recently to, uh, as an example, to create a um, uh, what we call stand-up bot, and it really only has one task in our Slack. Uh, it posts a message on Friday that asks a few questions, and the idea is that the, our team members will respond in the thread format on Slack uh, to to the to the you know, the post, uh, answering. The questions telling what they did that week and and kind of giving the retrospective in preparation for our, our Monday morning stand-up that we have every week. And, and then it, it actually follows up on 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 Monday morning and says, hey, don't forget stand-ups in half an hour and post a Zoom link because we're a remote first company. So you know, sometimes we're in the office, sometimes we're not. And mm-hmm. regardless of who's in the office, we always have a Zoom going and we record the meeting uh, so that if somebody's not there or misses it or whatever is on vacation, they can tune in if they want to catch up and see what the team's been up to so so yeah that's great you know zapier did all that and i didn't have to write any code for it which was cool um another example of, of automating things that that i enjoyed and, and did require writing some code because zapier wasn't a perfect fit and other tools out there didn't really seem to do the trick either we uh, we have some accountants that do our uh, taxes for us and we're mm-hmm. we're going to have them start reconciling our receipts with transactions and things in our accounting software using. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so we want those receipts attached. If ever we were to get audited, we don't want to have to go digging through matching stuff up. We want it all to be there. Right. Um, and so we need a way to get those receipts to our accounts. It's fairly easy actually with paper receipts because we use the scanner app or something on the phone to just take a, uh-huh. take a scan of it and drop it in our Google drive. But email receipts have actually been a pain because you receive, you know, emails from say, you know, Amazon or square or something like that. And, right. Um, you got to create a PDF and then upload it to uh, upload it to Google Drive, which can be a pain. So, long story short, I uh, I have the opportunity to use um, Lambda, and I use the serverless framework, which uh-huh. makes things makes so things nice. easy, at least for small tasks. Yeah. So so now we can just email a receipt to a special address, and it converts the email to a PDF and uploads it into our receipts folder in our. Google Drive. And that's using Amazon's uh, SES service and S3 and Lambda to accomplish that. And it's all probably like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 lines of code or something. You know, it's, it wasn't really that right. much. And it's yet yeah, it's something that saves us a ton of time because now we actually, you know, pro tip, if ever you have the opportunity to set something like this up, uh, you can create a filter then in Gmail at least that will automatically mm-hmm. email, uh, will automatically email expected receipts to the appropriate address and stick them in an archive. So they never even hit your inbox. So, right. You know, supporting the team, just trying to keep, keep things moving forward. That's kind of my, my primary role. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I should dig into that. Um, my business coach has been walk, walking me through a lot of these things where it's just setting up systems and yeah. it, 
it's funny because the rest of the people that he's coaching in the Facebook group that we're in, they're all small business owners that run like landscaping companies and stuff. And so I'll go automate something with code and it's almost like this superpower, right? It's like, right. I don't have to think about this anymore. And they're looking yeah. at it like, wait, <laughs> yeah. that's not yeah, fair. Wait. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> it's like, oh, it only took me an hour, right? They have to go hire somebody to manually do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's very nice. And yeah, I yeah. Uh, plus one on all of the processes and everything like that. I just gave a talk. So there's a consultancy in Denver called Brebug. They do Angular. Okay. And they flew myself and another well-known person in the Angular community out to give a talk. And my talk was about automation. Cool. And it was like, look, here's your coding process and here are all the places where you can automate things. And then, and all of your coding processes can be automated as either scripts that you follow yourself. Yeah. So, you know, just step by step or, you know, they can be automated as you start to figure out what those steps are. You can say, oh, well, we can make this happen without thinking about it as well. And yeah. so, yeah, anyway, it's, it's definitely an interesting challenge as we learn how to do what we need to do to make things work. And in business, I mean, you, you can, I mean, eventually you'll get to the point where you've automated so much stuff that you can actually, you know, not replace people, but you don't have to hire as quickly. Yeah. Fascinating. We went off on a big tangent right there, but yeah, I love it. And it's, it's, you know, when, when we really look at things, I mean, that's, that's what they have us there for is to essentially automate a repeatable process that they're either going to sell to their customers or use themselves. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It applies. I think it applies to everybody, whether you're in the position of owning a business or, or not, there's always opportunity to make systems, automate things for the rest of your team, make things easier. And, um, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's, it's nice, especially, especially these smaller tasks. It's fun to, to take something that maybe is written down on paper and build software mm-hmm. such that you don't have to follow instructions. You just, you just use the system. And that kind of is the documentation of the process almost at that point, which is, which is even better than, than paper process. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, the last part of the show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the hosting provider I use for devchat.tv. I also use it for my applications that manage the RSS feeds, scheduling, and sponsorships involved in delivering these shows. DigitalOcean is easy to use, has data centers all over the world, and provides terrific services including server hosting and object storage for delivering your web applications and assets quickly and easily. I use DigitalOcean because I love their interface. I get SSD storage for my servers, and their support replies quickly. So go check them out at DigitalOcean.com. I do. Um... So, uh, Robin Olson's Tiny Desk Concert. <laughs> I, I love Tiny Desk Concerts. I, have you ever uh, watched those no. NPR on, on YouTube? Okay. So, I guess shout out to Tiny Desk Concerts on YouTube. I don't know how to describe them. I guess I'd say just go watch it. But, but more or less, it's concerts from well-known artists sitting behind a desk at NPR's offices, which is pretty great. Uh, and Rob... And Robin, Robin Olson's Tiny Desk Concert, I'll just give it away because I feel bad sending people there and actually tricking them. It's actually an April Fool's joke. And it was probably the best one uh, from, from April Fool's. You know, <laughs> tech, companies, tech companies have all these shenanigans that they do. Uh, and, and I don't know, it gets kind of old actually sometimes. But this one I just felt was really good because it really tricked me. I'm, I'm watching uh, Tiny Desk Concerts on YouTube and I come across this one. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? This guy is just tuning a piano 
it's literally just sitting there tuning a piano and then he stops and everybody claps and he says, all right, I'm, you know, try a new piece here. And this is called a uh, tuning the bass. <laughs> he tunes the bass and everybody <laughs> claps for him. But uh, anyways, if you, if you appreciate music and some comedy, go check that out. Cause it's a hoot. Um, and then, yeah, you'll enjoy tiny desk concerts in general and you'll, you'll find it on, on YouTube. And then the other one, I guess we already kind of talked about, but um, it's, it's using serverless, I guess you could say the framework, but maybe also just the, the ideology for automating tiny tasks to help your team. Um, and if, if you're not familiar with serverless, the framework, you can go look that up. It makes things quite a bit easier. I wouldn't necessarily say unless you have a lot of experience with a particular uh, provider like AWS, uh, it, it isn't probably that easy really to set up a little serverless task because there's so many moving parts and uh, you know various places you have to go. To, to create the resources and stuff to accomplish the task. But with the serverless framework, you can define, you know, hey, when there's a new, uh, when there's a new object in this S3 bucket, I want it to trigger this Lambda task. And, you know, it's, it's, it just makes it really, really easy. It, it makes almost no effort at all, as long as it supports the thing that you want to do, of course. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's, there's at least a really good chance if you've got a super tiny task that you want to do that maybe, you know, Zapier or if this, then that doesn't quite do or doesn't do it as smoothly as you want, then that might be a good opportunity to say, Hey, I'm going to use serverless for this. It's going to cost you almost nothing. Uh, assuming that you're not, you know, sending gazillions of, of uh, requests to it all the time. So yeah, check out serverless. I don't actually know what the web address is, but I think we'll probably put that in the notes. Show I think notes. it's something like serverlessframework.com or something, but don't, yeah. yeah. Don't quote me on that until I verify it, but serverless.com there you go but yeah i i'm gonna plus one that pick um you can also whether you're using amazon aws it also works with other systems so it works with google cloud platform and microsoft yeah. azure ibm has a cloud provider i can't remember but it works with all of those so yeah so whether or not you're using you know yeah. um, azure functions or uh, lambda or something else you know it works on all those systems and the nice thing is, is most of those clouds have nice tie-ins to other services. So sending emails and stuff like that. You know, I use Zapier just to connect my SendGrid account and that works fine. But I, I did have a really, I really had to think about, okay, do I want to send this through, you know, SendGrid or do I want to send it through like SES? So on, on Amazon, AWS. Yep. Yep. So yeah, super handy there. Um, I've got a couple of picks as well. And these All relate right. to some of the automation stuff that we talked about. One of cool. them is called Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. It's a terrific book. Um, cool. And uh, he just walks you through the process. You know, are you going to delegate, automate, procrastinate, or eliminate? And, you know, cool. yeah, all the eight words. But yeah, it, it's really great and helps you kind of formulate, okay, this is when I'm going to do this and this is when I'm going to do that. The other thing that I'm going to pick, and this isn't really promoted by this book, but the idea I really like, and I've used like two or three different versions of it, but it's the delegation roadmap. If you do a Google search, you'll probably find a copy of it. And essentially what it is, is you put down a task and then you, you rate it uh, up or down as far as this gives me energy or doesn't give me energy. And then you also rate it, you know, a one, a two or a three. A one is I must, you know, I, I have to be the person that does it. Two is I could probably delegate it. And three is I could definitely delegate it. Hmm. You know, I could cool. give it to somebody else to do. And then what you start doing is you start looking for those things that have uh, a down on your energy 
that you could definitely delegate. And then you just go in and you get, like you said, you either write up a process or you write some code to automate it and you just make it go away. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really, really uh, digging that. And finally, the last pick that I have, and this is just related to the Ruby podcast, and I'm probably going to pick it for a few weeks on all the shows, uh, just because this is something that I'm working on um, and probably going to start tomorrow, I think. But uh, I'm going to start another Ruby podcast. Hey. It's, it's actually going to be a YouTube show, but I'm going to put it on, a, on an RSS feed. And the how do I put it? So it's going to be a five-minute or less uh, just take on something related to Ruby. So there may be posts on the community or there may be a review of a conference or there may be you know somebody doing something interesting that I find on Reddit or Stack Overflow or uh, what is it? Uh, y Combinator, uh, Hacker News. You know, so, so if I find something out there that I like that I think Rubyists will be interested in, I'm just going to cover it for you know, five minutes or less. And just give you my take. And I'm sure some of my takes are probably going to be unpopular, and some of them people will probably like. So we'll, you know, we'll see where we wind up. But love it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is if you have an Amazon Echo, um, I'm planning on putting that on as an Alexa skill, and you can get a flash briefing. And so if you add the skill, then when you ask for your flash briefing, it'll pull that up, and it'll play. It'll play this as part of your flash briefing. So. There'll be a lot of ways to get it. It'll be fun. But yeah. You're going to automate it. (laughs) I am. I'm going to automate it. Well, I've written a ton of code to build RSS feeds. So, 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 you know, this is just a natural outgrowth of that. Um, But yeah. So looking forward to that. Uh, One final question for you, Ben. If people want to follow you on Twitter or maybe have a blog or they're thinking, sounds like I need to hire Hint to help me upgrade my Rails app. Where do they go? Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. It's just uh, at Benjamin Wood. Full name at Benjamin Wood. Our main web address is probably a pretty good place to start if you're interested in hiring our team to work with you on, you know, upgrading Rails app or any other kind of Ruby or JavaScript work. Actually, we're doing quite a bit of that as well. React, um, Node, things of that nature um, is hint.io, hint.io. And if you're interested specifically in, in Upgrade Rails, again, you can go to upgraderails.com. There's a bit of a uh, copy there that kind of describes... Uh, what we believe is, you know, a common scenario that people get into with an uh, app that's out of date and not having time to uh, support it, uh, you know, or focusing on features and things like that, having a hard time actually turning attention to, to doing that work. And mm-hmm. that's where we come in. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank cool. you for coming and talking to us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Definitely enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, have a good one. All right. Yeah, we'll uh, have another one of these out next week, folks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.